The Bible has a lot to say about love. And in fact, there are different definitions for the word love. People will ask the question sometimes, how can I love the people that are around me? Well, in the English, there are, there's one word for love. I say, I love my wife and I love pizza. And hopefully I love my wife separate in a different way than I love pizza. So in the Greek, you would have used different terms. In the Greek, there is the word agape. That's the word that, that is, is, is in the Bible that speaks of unconditional love. It's the kind of love that a husband is supposed to have for his wife when they get married. I, I will love you. You make that commitment. It's unconditional. And God loves us with that agape love that's unconditional. The second kind of love the Bible talks about is phileo. Phileo is brotherly love. It's fondness. It's when you meet someone and you click, you, you, you just kind of click. And there's a, um, a oneness on the way you think and you're fond of that person and they become a friend of yours. That's phileo love. Do you know that the Bible has a passage, I think it's only one, that says that we are supposed to have a phileo love towards God and that God loves us with a phileo love. We, he's fond of us which I like that because sometimes we can think, well, God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. Well, the Bible would teach differently that God loves you and is fond of you. The third form for love is um, eros. We get our word erotic from it. It's that passionate love. Doesn't just mean sexual. It's just having that attraction to, to someone and that's eros. And then there's sturge, and sturge is a funny word to me in the Greek because it talks about possessions. That's the word sturge. I would say, you know, I, I, I love my bike. I, that's, I, that would be sturge. I would use that in Greek. We use love in English, but in Greek we'd use that. But also relatives, like distant relatives, you use the word sturge too. I, I love my, 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 my second cousin and my bike. Now, I'm not quite sure why that possession love is used for distant relatives in Greek, maybe because you possess them. And so, you know, they say you can't choose your family. Family is what your family is. And maybe that's why Greek uses that term. But those are the different terms in the Greek for love. And all of them play some role in our Christian life. But, but by far, agape does. That unconditional love uh, and most of the references we're going to make today have to do with this unconditional love. All right. So I have five passages and I have five things the Bible tells us about love. And this can help us that we would know that this is this is what Jesus wants from us. You remember that Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what is, what are the what is the greatest commandment, which is a, which is a question a lawyer would ask. And a lawyer in their day, a little bit different, right? They're religious. They're looking back at the law. But still, they're a lawyer. They defend the law. And, um, and Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which if you miss that, that's everything, right? You love God with everything. And that you are, and then Jesus said, the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. This is a very helpful thing to me. Because when I, I want to know, how should I treat my neighbor? Well, I want to treat them like I want to be treated. 
And that's love. I'm going to love them like I love myself, the way that I want for myself, I want for them. And it really is helping us to put other people's interests above their own. But Jesus goes one step further, which is interesting. So let's take a look at that. So the first thing that we have is that we have a new commandment to love. We don't just have a commandment from Jesus that says love, but it is a new commandment. And since the Old Testament told us, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with everything you've got, then what is this new commandment about love all about? Well, let's take a look at it. Verse 34, this is John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, say a new one, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is what makes the commandment new. It's not just a love, love your neighbor as yourself. That helps me, that's good. But this is a step above that. Love one another as I have loved you, therefore love one another. Think of the way that Jesus loves you. And the more you learn about the love that Christ has for you, the more you're going to be able to understand how we are supposed to love one another. This is like a challenge to step the game up from Leviticus of loving your neighbor like yourself, that you would love as Christ loves us. I love in the book of John that John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He had a very good sense that Jesus loved him. Jesus loves you, demonstrated that love for you. And we're to love one another as Christ loves us. Now look at what he says is going to be the end result of this. Of, of this new commandment, this new kind of love. He says, but this, um, all will, uh, by this, all will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. If we could take this new love and we can bring this into the church and really begin to love one another as Christ loves us, the world, when they walk in this place, is going to go, these people are real disciples. One, one, thing that, one thing that cults try to do is to provide a loving environment for new people that come in. But it's fake. It's this smiley, kind of weird kind of love where you walk in and, hey, brother, I love you. And you're like, and I'm out of here because this is weird. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about putting on you know, this kind of fake love towards one another. The world sees that really easily. So do we, by the way. When someone's faking it, and they're just, we, we see it. We are pretty good at identifying that. We're pretty good at identifying the genuine. It's talking about genuinely loving people as Christ loves us. And when we do this, they will know that we are his disciples. When you and I walk into a church and we're looking for a new church, maybe you finally go, I'm done with Calvary. I'm going to a new church. So you start visiting churches in Tucson. When you go into that church, you're looking for a few things. You're looking for the way they treat the Bible, what they talk about scripture. You may look at how they respond and talk about the Holy Spirit. There may be some things that are important to you that you look at and you go, I, I'm going to know that this is a genuine church that I want to be at if I see these things. But people in the world can't do that. They just don't know. 
So when they walk into a church and they go, if I'm going to become a member here, or if I want to start attending here, then what makes me think I want to do that? And Jesus said, it will be the love that you have for one another. This genuine love. I, I call this the foundation of our evangelism. Maybe, maybe we could put it this way. This is the foundation of our local evangelism. Evangelism of people coming into the church. Of really saying, I want to demonstrate this love. Now, this isn't going to happen unless we get to know one another. We get into some koinonia. We bear one another's burdens. That, that we could start to really give that sacrificial love. And if we ask the question, and we could spend a whole study on this. Okay, I started writing down some of these ideas and I thought that'll be my only text if I do this. But in which way does Jesus love us? It's extremely sacrificial. He, love us, he loves us and he put our interest above his own interest that he went to the death of the cross. That's pretty heavy love. Being able to lay down and sacrifice for one another and that's only a portion of what this love is. The second thing that the Bible tells us about love is that love fulfills the law. It's been said, and this is conservative, that there are 613 commandments in the law of Moses. And mo most of them are in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Th there are some in Leviticus and Numbers, but most of them are in Exodus and Deuteronomy. 613. Could you imagine trying to... Um, Memorize all of those so that you don't break them. I'm going to memorize all 613 of these, uh, these commandments so I don't break them. The funny thing is when I ask people to give me the Ten Commandments, because they'll get to four or five and go, uh, uh, can you imagine 613? So, so you and I are free from the law, okay? The, the Galatians tells us this, Hebrews tells us this. We've got other studies that talk about this freedom we have from the law. We just recently did a series on Wednesday night through Hebrews. That's going to help you with that if somehow you feel like you're supposed to be doing the law. And I want you to understand, you're free to do it. If uh, Jesus said, the, uh, Paul said, we of all are, Christians are the most free. And Jesus said, I've come to set people free. So if you go, I want to use the freedom I have to eat kosher. You got that freedom. I want to use that freedom I have to keep the laws as they are written in the Old Testament. You can use your freedom like that. I don't know that that's the best use of your freedom to put yourself back under the bondage of what you've been set free from and you can't enjoy a ham and cheese sandwich. So it's a problem. But listen to what it says about love and the law in Romans 13 eight. It says, owe no one anything except love. Now, that's a great commandment that we should, you know, pay our debts, but also that I owe you love and you owe me love. What do we owe one another? What, what is kind of indebtedness do we have? That we would love one another. Owe no one anything but love except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is the fulfillment of the law. This is pretty simple. The Decalogue is broke up into two sections. Four, the first four commandments are towards God. The next six commandments are towards people. 
And so if I love you, then I'm not going to steal from you. If I love you, I'm not going to covet. When something, when something good happens to you and you gain something that is awesome, if I really love you, I'm going to be blessed by the fact that you got it. So love is the fulfillment of the law. I can fulfill all 613 of those commands by walking in love. Love help. If ever there's a question, what should I do? The answer is walk in love. That's the answer to what you should do. Every so often when I do a meet and greet, someone will come up to me and they'll tell me this really complicated uh, story of them and a relative. I have an uncle and he's a Christian and he did this and this and this and I did and I did that and he did this. And it's really complicated. And they'll say, what should I do? And I say, I hope I don't offend you with my, my answer because my answer is really easy. Love them. What does love tell you to do in this complicated circumstance? I'll tell you what I find more than, than not is that when that is brought out first, there's resistance to it. But, but, but what about, but, but what about, but what about? And it's like, well, I don't know that any of those excuses take away that we owe one another love. And if you've got a difficult situation with a family member, with a friend, with a fellow employee, then go out of your way to genuinely love them. By doing so, you're, you're fulfilling the law. And he goes on to give us examples. He says, uh, verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandments are all summed up in this saying, namely, that you love your neighbor as yourself. So that was the summary, because love your neighbor as yourself wasn't a quote from Jesus. It's a summary in the Old Testament of fulfilling all of the laws. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Now, now we kind of get a little bit better guideline, a little bit better practicality. So the first thing that I want to do is I don't, I don't want to harm them in any way because love shows no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And by the way, that's not the only place the Bible teaches this. There are, in the New Testament, there are four or five places you can go to that teach us that the summary of the law for us now is truly loving one another. The third thing that we want to look at is that love is above all. all everything, um, love is above it all. Look at 1 Peter 4 eight. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. This is a really important passage because it's telling us what the most important thing is for us. If you go, you know what, I want to serve God and I want to make sure that I'm doing the things God wants me to do, what's the highest call? What's the most important thing for you to do? Well, this is it. Above all things. Uh, Peter says, above all, have a fervent love for one another. Make this your highest priority to one another. And then it says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Because one thing that we know is there's no way for us to get into interaction with each other over a period of time that an offense isn't going to happen. Offenses will happen. 
But if we're really loving one another, above all, then we will have a fervent love for one another and there will be, the love will cover a multitude of sins. One more thing here. There's a passage in 3 John where John is writing to his friend Gaius and John says in the, in the greeting, above all things, I would that you would be in good health and that you would prosper as your soul prospers. That verse has been twisted by the prosperity movement to say, above all things, God wants you rich and healthy. And they'll quote the passage from 3 John. But you got to take it in context. And in context, John is writing to his friend Gaius and gives him a greeting. Above all things, I would that you would prosper and be in good health. It's John that wants him to prosper and be in good health. He's not saying above all things, God wants you to prosper and be in good health. That would be in contradiction to what we just read in 1 Peter 4, 8, which says, and above all things, have a fervent love for one another. Now, if God blesses you with health and, and with finances, praise God. Our, God. our God does that. He chooses to do different things with different people, but it's not what God wants for you above all things. Above all things, God wants a fervent love in our lives. So if you just want to come back to the place to say, God, what do you want me doing first? Do this and you'll be doing the things God wants. Now I've got two more. The fourth is that without love, what we do and what we have is nothing. Love is what gives whatever possessions, whatever sacrifices, whatever gifts of service we give to people. Love is what gives it substance. If we're doing it for other motives, it doesn't mean anything. And how many people in the world are doing charitable acts with other motives than love? Now, I can't really check people's motives, right? Um, when I'm checking out at whatever store I'm checking out at, and they said, will you like to give to this fund for the children? I'm not saying I think that's bad because they're collecting money to be able to help children who are poor. But I do wonder about the motives for it. I wonder, are you just trying to get me to feel good about what you're doing and are you really genuinely helping them or not? So we want to evaluate when we make a sacrifice, are we doing it with the purpose of love is love there because if not it means nothing and so we pick this up in the love chapter in first corinthians chapter 13 in the first three verses the first thing it says is though i speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love i have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal could you imagine being able to speak in every language in the world and whatever angels speak. And we learn here that angels have a different language than us. So you could talk to angels and you could talk to people. That'd be pretty impressive. But it says that it's nothing more than making noise. That if you don't have love, you're just banging symbols together, even though you have all of this ability to communicate. So love is what allows you to communicate effectively in whatever language you're communicating in. The second thing it says here about the, the importance of love is, and though I have the gift of prophecy, which is being able to speak for God, and though I understand all mysteries 
You know whether or not Lessie is in Loch Ness or Bigfoot is real. There's all kinds of biblical mysteries, by the way. There's the mystery of the church and the mystery of godliness. Being able to understand all of these mysteries and all knowledge. He's throwing everything at it. He's throwing the kitchen sink at it here. He's saying, You're, uh, you understand prophecies. You understand mysteries. You have all knowledge. You literally are a know-it-all. You know it all. And though I have faith, on top of that, so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. All of those things that you know don't make you anything. You are nothing unless it is love. No wonder love is the most important thing for us as Christians to get right. And finally, verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you take everything you've got and you give it away, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So there's no profit in coming alongside of people and helping people if it's not genuinely and really out of love. Now you help them, no doubt. That may be a good thing, okay? But it doesn't do anything for you. There's no profit in your life unless it genuinely comes out of love. All the words for love here, by the way, were agape, which is the unconditional love. Really, and, and unconditional love, um, I think it was the theologian, the great theologian, Clint Black, who said, love is something that you do. That's the idea of agape love. Love is something that you do. That's, that's when you reach out and, um, and help others. All right. So the fifth thing that I've got for love here is the definition of love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I've entitled this, Love Endures All Things, because that's where it eventually comes to. But it starts to give us this picture of what real agape love looks like. And that's the love that's talked about here. The first thing it says is that love suffers. I've done a lot of weddings in the last 40 years of ministry. And this is when I would, would give the message at the, the, the wedding. This is where I would start. Love suffers. And I would look at them and go, you guys are making a commitment to love one another. You're making a commitment to suffer. I don't know if you still want to be here or not. I wouldn't say that. But I would just clearly let them know, you are making a commitment to suffer because love suffers. And when you choose to love someone, there could be a cost or there is a cost. Love suffers. But not only does love suffer, but love suffers long. So it's not just a short amount of time. Well, I could suffer for a little while, but you have to suffer a long time. The next thing it says about it is love suffers long and is kind. A lot of people can suffer long and be grumpy. And the longer you suffer, the grumpier you get. But love suffers long and remains kind. And I, and I just, just look at the word kind there. I don't think that that can be disconnected from the concept of love. Sometimes married people are more kind to a stranger than they are to their own husband or wife. Kindness sometimes leaves the home. And I just want to give you an encouragement to bring that kindness back in. Because if someone's not kind, if you aren't kind to one another in the home, then affection is what suffers. 
We're talking about agape love, which is an unconditional love that has kindness connected to it. You're not going to be kind to people because they deserve it. That's not, that's not this agape love. Kindness is, I'm going to be kind to everyone that I encounter in my life because as a believer, that's what I do, including those who are the closest to me and including the guy that I work with that annoys me the most. In fact, he's your practice, all right? But you've got to bring it back into your home. So often, couples end up having even a hatred towards one another because they refuse to be kind. And once someone stops the kindness, the reciprocation, all of a sudden your home becomes a place that isn't safe. Your home becomes a place that, it, that you don't want to be at because it's miserable there. Because the person that's not there is not kind and you're striking back and not being kind as well. Our home should be a place where there's great kindness. It says love doesn't envy. So when someone receives a promotion or something that we might easily be jealous of, we're not envious. Love doesn't parade itself. If you're going to walk in love, it's not about you. S sometimes you'll run into a person that cannot, for all he tries, to talk about someone else besides himself. As soon as, as, soon as you say something about your life, then they've got to one-up it. Or they've got to tell you a, a different story. It's all about them. They just don't focus in on it. There was a comedian who said, I really wish that I would have gone to the moon. And that way, when someone tried to one-up me, I could say, yeah, but I went to the moon. He goes, there's no way they could one-up it no matter what. So love doesn't parade itself. Doesn't, don't always have to talk about your accomplishments. It doesn't always have to be about you. In fact, you're going to learn a lot more about people. You're going to learn a lot more about love when you take an interest in them if you are thinking of them and talking about them and not just yourself. Love is not puffed up, which of course is pride and arrogance. Love does not behave rudely. I love that this is put in the positive and the negative. Love is kind and love doesn't behave rudely. Just in case you don't get the love is kind, I want love doesn't behave rudely. It goes on to say, love doesn't seek its own. This is what we covered on, on Wednesday in Philippians, that we put other people's interests above our own, that Jesus gave us an example of how to live by putting his glory aside, becoming a man, becoming a servant, and being obedient to death. Not only did he put his interests aside by becoming a man, but when he became a man, what kind of man did he become? Not a king to be served, but instead a servant. And this is what we're to do. Love doesn't seek its own. Is not provoked, which we need to apply when we're driving down the road. <laughs> Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Four things now that love does. After this definition, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So I think we could pretty much easily get bears all things, right? Love bears all things. That means we're going to go through some tough times. Genuine, real love bears all things. Um, it is the next one that gets a little bit difficult. Believes all things. 
Well, we don't want to be a sucker. Look, I just got a text that I won first place in a sweepstakes. All I've got to do is send them my information and they'll send me my winnings. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when you hear something that is negative about someone. There's truth that sometimes needs to be told that is not fun to hear. But there's also gossip and there's things that are said that are slanderous. And love believes all things. And, and I find that, that at times I've said, when someone told me something about somebody, I don't believe that about them. So I, 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 don't, I know them and I don't think that's true. Now, sometimes I haven't been correct, unfortunately. Sometimes when I hear the very thing and I say, you know what, I don't think that's really true. I think that's exaggerated. It, I, you know, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'll chase it down, but I don't think it's true. I, I've been wrong, but I think it's better to be that way. I think it's better to think the best of an individual. Love believes all things rather than thinking the worst of that individual. And I've also had times when they tell me that that's the way, you know, that something, they, somebody said did this. And when I call them and ask them, because it's one of the things that I'll do is call up and ask and say, hey, I heard this about you. And, and when you're telling me something, if you're telling me gossip, you might think about that a little bit too, by the way. When someone, try, when someone says to me, I want to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody. I like to go, you know what? I'd rather not hear it. Even if they're talking about, they're talking about somebody, somebody, somebody told them this, I want to tell you, but you can't tell them. Well, right now I can tell them anything I want to tell them. But as soon as I tell you, I won't tell them. Now I'm bound not to be able to tell them something. So I don't make those kind of commitments. When someone says, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell them. Now, if it's a surprise party, I'm not talking about that, right? You guys get that. I want to tell you something, but you can't tell them. What I say is, then don't tell me. Because I don't want to know if I can't share it. And if you know that what you're going to tell me, I have a lot of the freedom to be able to share with somebody, especially if it's a negative. They say, I want to tell you something, but you can't tell somebody. So-and-so said this about you. Well, now I promised them I wouldn't talk to them. So I can't even go and make things right in a situation because I gave my word over here that I wouldn't talk to that person. Which is the reason that I say to people, then don't tell me. If I can't go to them, then I don't want to know. It'll just eat my lunch for how long when I can't even go and try to make things right by, by, by doing that. So love believes all things. You believe the best. You might, you might get stung. You might be wrong. But love still believes all things because you're going to be right as well. And it hopes all things. This means you hope the best for people, right? It endures all things. So when you walk in love, you can put up with a lot more than what you can't when you don't. And then I love this, love never fails. What a great promise for love. And if you and I would just take these aspects of what the Bible has to say about love, which is a small portion, and apply them to our lives at the end of this year, and maybe say in the next year, what I really want is to be that person that loves this way. Help me to do it. Help me to be that person. Help me to walk in that kind of love. And I'm just going to go back to the first one we covered as a conclusion. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another the way I have loved you, 
is the way you are to love others so they will know that you are my disciples. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can take time to consider what your word says about love and the way that we're supposed to interact with each other. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us to apply these things into our lives because we know as we go through these passages that we know we're talking about the truth. And so help us to make love that that main part of our lives. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.